Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. Now I'm Rob Olson. Uh, the book that we're going to be talking about tonight is Experimental Film by, we're going to say Gemma, right? Gemma Files? I think we're going to have to go with Gemma Files. Do you think this is a, a legit name? Yeah. There's something that you do. See, to me, it feels like this is a little bit of an author name. Well, here's, I'm going to, I'm going to, when we get to the bio, I think you're going to figure out why I think it's a real thing. It's in the first line here. Gemma Files was born in London, England, and they're all fucking weird over there, right? So, well, that's okay. That's fair. And then, and then they moved to Canada, so that didn't help right. the situation any. Not helping. <laughs> they say stuff like uh, knickers and fanny and torch over there. So, before listen, before we get that far, though, do you know we went? I think I went all the way through this book, and it was like in the last three or four pages, there was something that was spelled in like that kind of British way, or maybe they do it in Canada too. I don't remember what the word was, but I got through the whole book. And I was like, there's a word that's not spelled in American English. I I think I know what you're talking about. There was one, and I don't think, I can't remember, it was something that did a C-E at the end instead of an S-E is something that I noticed. And oh, if, maybe, I, maybe I missed that one. Yeah, there was, and that's definitely, the British English do the C-E instead of S-E. Um, I think it was, oh, what was it? I don't remember, but that's it's the one I picked up on. It's an excellent review so far. This book. <laughs> picking it apart, picking her name apart, picking right. her her heritage. We haven't even gotten through the entire bio. No, no, but you should definitely continue with the bio. All right. <clears throat> um, born in London, England, and raised in Toronto. Her story, The Emperor's Old Bones, won the 1999 International Horror Guild Award for Best Short Fiction. She's published two collections of short work. Kissing Carrion, and The Worm in Every Heart, both from Prime Books, and two chapbooks of poetry, Bent Under Night from Cinesphere Productions and Dust Radio from Kelp Queen Press. Yeah, A Book of Tongues, her first hex slinger novel, won the 2010 Dark Scribe Magazine Black Quill Award for Small Press Chill in both the Editors and Readers' Choice categories. The two final hex slinger novels, A Rope of Thorns and A Tree, there's a whole, I think there's like six of these books. And A Tree of Bones were published by Cheezine Publications in 2011 and 2012. It's like Ms. Files is a very busy lady. It's a mouthful. Yes, indeed. Um, the book, this is uh, the bio from Amazon. First of all, thank you for uh, to Cheezine. We actually reached out to them to ask for um, an advanced digital copy. And they not only provided, but Rob, he asked me in what format we wanted. So cheesing is definitely on the ball with knowing that when we ask for a digital copy of PDF is probably not what you want to do. And he didn't send us. He didn't send us to um, NetGalley or, or, or the other one. Wife. I was trying to think of that weird. Yeah, that German one. Yeah. Didn't send us there. He just <laughs> emailed us a Mobi file, which was awesome. So thank you, Cheezine, for for doing things the right way for your reviewers. Let's and let's start there. Homeboy even had a good name. Isn't it like Brett Savory or something like that? It is. It is. It's Brett Savory. That is correct. Thanks, thanks, buddy. Thanks, man. We appreciate it. Um, now let's tear apart this book you sent us. <laughs> I'm just, just kidding. Here's the bio from Amazon because it's easier to copy and paste from there than it is from even, even a Moby. Experimental Film is a contemporary ghost story in which former Canadian film history teacher Lois Cairn? 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 What do you think? Cairns? Cairns. Cairns? 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 Lois Cairns. I think that's a whole different <laughs> thing. Lois Cairns. That's her XXX. Yeah. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to refer to her as Lois. 
Jobless and depressed in the wake of her son's autism diagnosis accidentally discovers the existence of lost early 20th century Ontario filmmaker Mrs. A. Makala Whitcomb. By deciding to investigate how Mrs. Whitcomb's obsessions might have led to her mysterious disappearance, Lois unwittingly invites the forces which literally haunt Mrs. Whitcomb's films into her life, eventually putting her son, her husband, and herself in danger. Experimental film mixes painful character detail with a creeping aura of dread to produce a fictionalized memoir designed to play on its readers' narrative expectations and pack an existentialist punch. Did, did you get the feeling from this book that she was surprised that the autism diagnosis was something new? No. But I felt it was just kind of this like burden that was always present. This is correct. I agree with you on this. I mean, I, I think, I mean, there's an age where, you know, I think at a certain right. point you have a child and they're just a baby, but you have to get to a certain point. Um, and interestingly enough, her son is, um, is autistic, but does communicate. He just kind of communicates through things he's mostly heard on TV and songs and stuff. So it might be a little harder until you figure that out because you actually have a child who's speaking and interacting with you. And a lot of times autism, from my understanding of, I'm certainly no expert, um, can can cause introversion and a lot of kind of not acknowledging people around them and stuff. So I could see where it would be a little harder and take longer with somebody who is communicating in this way. But again, I'm no expert. Um, I'm not any more of an expert than you, so I'm just going to be like, uh, yep, I agree. So um, uh, how do we want to talk about this? There's a whole bunch of characters, or do you want to go into story? Um, I think we can cover um, some of the characters first, I guess. Um, we have Lois, who we've already mentioned, who is... Um, Lois is not necessarily set up to be the most likable protagonist. And, and I believe, since this is told from her point of view, she um, you know, actually points out very early on that she's certainly not the hero of a story. <laughs> you know what I mean? She doesn't see herself that way. She's um, kind of a mess. Yeah, and then that comes through um, in the story. She's not really, like I said, a likable character. She's a very strong character, but not necessarily likable. She is married to Simon, um, and they together have Clark, who is the uh, the autistic son that we've already spoken a little bit about, so you already have a little bit of feedback on there. Um, Simon is your your probably your, your dream husband if you're a woman. He's super supportive throughout the course of the book and does whatever and leaves her alone when she needs to be left alone. He's almost... <laughs> This is almost Simon in some ways is the complaint that uh, sometimes women make about how weak female characters are. This is almost like a role reversal. Simon's kind of a <laughs> He's definitely I don't know if pushover is the right word, but um he he gives in way more than probably like a rational person would. Yeah. Um considering all of the factors in the equation which we will try to Reveal to you in a way that doesn't spoil the story, but yeah, he's a little bit of a um, he he buckles. To, to paraphrase, I mean, there's almost parts where he's like, "Listen, I'm not putting up with this anymore," and then she's like, "Yeah, you are," and he's like, "Fine, I'm going to put up with it again." Like that's kind of how he came across. <laughs> like just, so. but I mean, in his defense, he's always very honest. He'll be like, "Well, I think you're wrong, but okay." Yeah, like, that's yeah. essentially. Yeah. Yep. So he's not he's not like a little bitch about it but he kind of is a little bitch about it. Um, going a little further back with the characters. So this, this book, um, as you, if you paid attention to the synopsis, 
uh, you'll understand that we, we travel, a lot of it has to do with stuff that happened a, a hundred years ago, basically. So we talk about a lot of those characters as we, it, the book talks about the characters a lot as they're researching their history and trying to find out more about them, but there are actual letters and, and diaries and whatnot uncovered. So Lois is, as was mentioned um, in the, in the synopsis is, is currently out of work. Um, she was teaching um, film type courses, film history courses at a, at a, <laughs> At a school that maybe reminded me of like how people feel about like online degrees <laughs> like she didn't take nobody took the school very seriously. Um, so she's out of work, but she still writes reviews and stuff for you know, different online publications or whatnot. And she stumbles across a film and we'll get into the film a little more and, and, and how that, you know, how the character who did the film plays into it. But basically she finds a film that leads her on this quest and she believes that parts of that film were copied from a film that may have been made by the first um, female filmmaker 100 plus years ago, um, Iris Whitcomb. She thinks she hooked a whale. That's what's going on. She thinks she kind of got her uh, her big ticket, right? Yeah, she definitely thinks she's on the side. And I, I have to agree that you know making a discovery like that, I'm not much of a film person, but I would imagine finding something historically significant like that for, for your, for your country um, is probably a pretty big deal. Yeah. So that leads her out into <laughs> this all takes place in Canada. Did we say it takes place in Canada? I think we may have mentioned. Okay. So she goes off. Um, they're in Ontario. I'm assuming, are they in Toronto? Does it ever specifically say I, that they're I don't, in Toronto? I don't, all I know is there's like some really weird names for places in Toronto, like earache, Canada, <laughs> and like, is it just right. me? Yeah, it's it's like yeah, and, or like it's either it sounds like a, a, a like a, an ailment or like a wine, like we're going exactly. out to Sutter home or something like that. Yeah. So <laughs> she so she decides that she's onto something here, but she needs to kind of gather some information in order to kind of present this, in order to get a grant to 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 you know make a documentary about this uh, this woman filmmaker. So she goes out into earache, Sutter Home, Canada somewhere. And, um, I think one of the places is called Your Ear, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. I think it's actually Your Ear. I don't. I could, you know, I could search for the word ear in the book, but um, I don't know. If we, we could just probably just stay on course here and pretend our fake names are right. Um, so the people that she goes up to research... Um, the person that she suspects to be the first uh, lady filmmaker of Canada is now. Olivia's pointed this out to me a minute ago off off the air. There's a little bit of a confusing. It seems confusing in the in the synopsis. It mentions Mrs. A. Macala Whitcomb, which is never used in the book. Her 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 name throughout the entire book is Iris Whitcomb. Um. The only thing I think of is her husband is Arthur Whitcomb. So if he's got a middle name, McCalla, she's Mrs. Arthur McCalla Whitcomb. Would, would you go with me on that? I would, because when you said that, I was like, oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. So that was totally Rob's figuring that out because I was just very confused. So Iris is the suspected filmmaker who was married to Arthur, who is this rich dude who uh, kind of a creepy. Well, we might get into a little bit of more of the love story between Iris and Arthur, which is a little bit. Kind of per not pervy, but suspicious. Um, and they have a son named Hyatt, who was also a little bit 
um, unusual. Uh, I, back in the early 1900s, I don't think autism was something that could be diagnosed, but there seems to be kind of a, a, a parallel between Lois's son and this this son Hyatt, who she discovers as she researches has gone missing at some point in their story. Yeah, so the the autistic diagnosis comes from Lois, who sees, um, you know, who who catches as will come very apparent if it hasn't already um, to listeners um, the 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 parallels be- between the two. Um, on her quest to do this, Lois um, finds an actual. So Lois is a, a film historian, let's say, and a and a critic, maybe a reviewer. She actually enlists one of her students who has actually made a film and is very good at it, whose name is Safi Hewson. Safi, maybe Safi probably sounds a little better. Let's call her Safi. Safi, so I was reading Safi the whole time, but Safi yeah. actually sounds like a name. Yeah, Safi, um, who joins her on this trip. Now to backtrack a little bit, um, and this is kind of this is kind of funny because I'll be honest with you, my entire uh, I don't want to say my entire life, but the end last I don't know fifteen years of my life, I was pretty sure that R O B B was the weirdest way you could spell Rob. Man, was I wrong. So yeah, it's got me. A... I'm having a change of heart after reading this book. <laughs> I might have to re- re- rethink how I na- uh, spell my name. This character's name is Rob, W-R-O-B, which is addressed as the guy just kind of being douchey. And I think it was his siblings all had names that started with R's. So that was his way of protesting the family, naming them all with, with a similar beginning letter. So he actually started spelling it W-R-O-B. The first Canadian hipster right here, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Rob Barney, who um, is a filmmaker, um, but that term is probably thrown around a little loosely in this because what he seems to do is, for people who aren't familiar with film or or whatever, probably more like music sampling, right? But he doesn't ask for permission. So he digs up old, um, weird films and then makes weird experimental films, but they're comprised mostly of other people's work. (laughs) So he's, uh, he's very well off. That's where um, Lois finds this first this first film that leads her on this quest. So he's he's a, in my notes. I put down filmmaker scoundrel because this guy really is. I, I mean, there was no even trying to hide what a piece of shit this guy was in the book. So typically, what happens in real life is you get guys who are pieces of shit, but they actually have some good qualities, or maybe you understand where they're coming from. No, this guy is like a villain, <laughs> just out and out villain. So he um uh, is. You know, finds out that Lois is is onto this thing, and it's kind of a big deal. So first, he kind of wants credit. Lois is like, "Hey, screw you! All you did was steal this film clip and use it. I'm the one that that made the discoveries." And he now wants to basically steal the entire project from her. And this, I don't know much we'll talk about, like the intricacies of the plot involving him. But let's just say that he's there to constantly sabotage and try to um, to steal away this project from Lois. That is very fair. Um, Rob's kind of a dick. Um, which sucks, but I'm kind of glad that his name isn't spelled R-O-B-B. You know what I'm saying? Oh, no, I understand. Um, one other character on our list of characters is a character named Lady Midday. Midday. Lady Midday. How are you going to say that? Because it's midday. I'm pretty sure it's midday because Cause she shows up her in the story. She day. shows up at noon. Yeah. yeah. So, midday. Midday. It's just all right. It's easier to read than it is to to say out loud. Um, one of the all right. So throughout the entire book, uh, there's a lot of references, like Livia said, to different times, um, and even to kind of 
not necessarily ancient, but really old kind of folklore fairy tales. Um, what would you call them? Not necessarily fairy tales, fables. I think fables is probably a good, uh, yeah. a good way to go. And um, in the course of, of her research on um, this woman filmmaker, there's some similarities to stories that um, Safi heard growing up, um, fables and stuff like that. But this lady midday character is essentially um, supposed to be this, not necessarily, so some sort of supernatural mythic creature who shows up in the fields in the middle of the day at noon at the hottest point of the day and basically <laughs> it seems kind of it's kind of just annoying right so she'll pop up you're doing your work you're sweating your ass off and she'll try and talk to you and if you're rude she cuts your head off but if you give her the proper respect you survive more or less it's kind of the gist of it right yeah, pretty much as, as it gets described. Um, and I don't remember our first initial kind of journey into learning about her. But basically, she feels that everybody has a purpose and that they need to work towards that purpose. So with the people in the field, it was that, you know, you get your ass to work and you do your thing kind of and you treat her respectfully. So she's almost like, I don't know, like the pit boss at a casino. Seems like she just walks around, makes sure everybody's keeping their head down, doing their job. And, you know, you have to treat her respectfully. But she almost, it's almost like she's giving you, like by engaging you, she's, she's, it's like a test. And if you pass, she does not cut your head off with a flaming sword. More or less. That's right. That's how I like to run my, uh, my, uh, my coworkers. Exactly. (laughs) You'll notice I still have my head. I have no, I have never had my head cut off with a flaming sword. Um, yeah, yep. so it's kind of it's written in a way the like our first interactions with the story um, are almost in a way where it's like it could be just one of those workers, um, like an, like a wives' tale to kind of keep people busy in the field so they're not fucking around or something like that. But it's kind of something you would tell your kids. It's like the boogeyman, right? Exactly. Yeah. So keep your head down, treat your elders with respect, do what you're supposed to do, and everything will be okay. And if not, they will find your head buried in two feet of concrete. <laughs> like, really <laughs> weird style. So this story is, God, you know, reading it, it didn't seem nearly as intricate as it is talking about it. <laughs> Am I right? Like, are you, I had a, I don't want to say easier time following because I'm following our conversation, but it read so much smoother than all the other intricacies. Because we can go into the next point, which is, Iris um, Whitcomb disappeared under very mysterious circumstances, like locked train car mystery circumstances. (laughs) Like she was there and then she wasn't and nobody had ever seen her again. Her her son disappeared under similar circumstances. He went missing, was never found again. Um, And this Lois starts off on a journey to uncover information and proof that this woman is the first Canadian filmmaker and what she finds and the things that begin happening to her indicate that there is a lot more at play than the fact that this woman was very sorry about her, you know, or very um, sad about losing her child as anybody would be. And and she became kind of eccentric and stuff. That's the story Lois is looking for. What she uncovers is that maybe there's something to this lady midday thing. Very well put. And it's written very nicely in a way where as, as uh, Lois continues to uncover more of what is more and more seeming to be an obsession of Iris, 
it's obvious that Lois is becoming more and more obsessed with with herself, with figuring out what what was going on with Iris. So, what at, at its surface seems to be like just a great opportunity to get um, a good story, like a good Canadian heartwarming story, um, very quickly kind of devolves into um, there's some really messed up stuff, and as she learns more her life gets more and more messed up as well, which is really cool. Um, there's even a point uh, in the story where, um, if you haven't guessed yet, and I think even in the synopsis it said, it's like a ghost story, right? It is. Uh, yeah, it actually says it is a contemporary ghost story. Yeah. Um, the, the book, and it's written in memoir style, so it, throughout the book, it's written primarily, but not 100% from... Lois's perspective, and Lois will actually speak to the reader, or or deliver information directly to the reader because it is written memoir style, um, including at one point, not not too far into the book, where she basically turns to the reader and says, "I know that any sane person by now would be thinking I'm in a horror film, but you know, not necessarily, or something like that." So it, it's interesting to see the the progression of how things get more and more fucked up. Yeah, and it's, you know, clearly this story could have been written from another perspective, but, and, and to get away from plot a little bit, I'm not sure if we're done really kind of talking about the plot, but having a written memoir style always tells you two things, right? So A, the narrator is, um, is done, has, is, has made it out somehow, the story, right? So it's not written by a dead person, typically speaking. Um, and then second, that, that, you're getting one person's perception of what's going on. So as Rob had mentioned, the whole thing is written from her point of view, but it is, um, there are, as I mentioned, I think earlier, there's some letters and there's some documentation um, that she uncovers in the form of letters and, and a journal um, from the Whitcombs themselves. There are some things, there are some things that Iris is not able to relate to us, but because she's running around with a filmmaker, um, all this stuff gets recorded. And, and the Safi, I got to tell you, man, I, I, I question this a little bit. And I think, Talk about the most meticulous note taker ever, because there are parts where she's referring back to notes and she's like, we walked down the stairs and turned left like like this woman had actually written down <laughs> this stuff. But so some of it, even though she is not able to tell us from her own standpoint what specifically had happened, a lot of it is done through documentation of other people. Not a lot. A portion is done through documentation of other people. And I have to say about that, because we this isn't the first time we've had a book where. Um, someone's relying on external sources for information, right? We've had like, like, uh, video and, and things like that. Um, but when, th so there are parts where, um, her memory has gaps and she has to fill it in with the notes, like Livia said. And I feel like those parts were so seamless in the narrative that it didn't feel weird or forced. It just felt such a natural part of the narrative, which I, I was, I was unsure about how it was going to go off, but it, it, it read just fine. Yeah. By and large, I didn't feel it was really forced. Like I said, some of that, the like handwritten notes that she's relaying back, I was like, this is way too specific. Like for someone who's just jotting down stuff, you know, in the course of oh, yeah, like an interview or dialogue yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, by and large, I mean, having, making a film already gives you the, the reason I think we were talking about it. it was another haunted but what was that called it was about that house was it the supernatural enhancements yes and it was like 
Oh, yeah, sure. The tool, the the place they went to buy tools had a camera and this had a camera right. and everything was like there was always a reason for there to be, you know, yep. something that they captured all the action. Um, and, and it did feel forced at parts in that book. Great book. But at times it was it was kind of like the um, the paranormal activity movies, you know, where yeah. you only see it on camera. But you start asking yourself, like, why is there a camera there of all right. places? You know, just so. But, yeah, no, all in all, this was this was handled <laughs> very well. Or the major criticism of movies like paranormal activity is like the camera sees all of the fucking mundane bullshit. But when something crazy happens, obviously, that's the part that's off camera, like that kind of thing. Yep. yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, only one other character I think that maybe merits mentioning, um, and, and some of this because we may talk some spoilers later. Um, Basic Sidlow, um, who was a, a, a very young man at the time, um, Ms. Whitcomb was putting together her films. He was a filmmaker, and and his involvement in that, um, you know. I'm just gonna go ahead and say because obviously I wouldn't brought up. He he is instrumental in the in the filmmaking of of Whitcomb's original um, films. Uh, I love so this is so weird because I kept thinking this. Now you know I'm not a huge film guy, right? Like I'm not. There are films I love, but I, I'm really by and large not very involved in in the love of of movies. But God damn it, I love books about movies, which is really weird, right? You'd think I would love movies more or these books less but anytime you throw a weird movie into a book i am sold that's why we reviewed this i was like oh look it's about weird films and ghosts and shit and films like i'm I'm in i'm sold i want to read this i think that you're all about the experience of a movie not as much about the theory behind movie movies oh, I, I i would have to yeah that's, so, that's pretty that makes sense reading about that's probably why we did night film and fucking this this book and stuff like that that makes yep. sense um, can we talk about creepiness? Cause I, <laughs> this might, and I'm, and I might push this one, but Livia sometimes will reveal text messages that, uh, that I, I send when we read books and I've got, I'm just going to go ahead and read this one. Um, <laughs> save me the trouble. I started reading this yesterday and I finished it today. So texted Livia's last night. Um, no, I texted Livia's today, made it to 70% last night, had to end with a chapter ending that didn't fully creep me out. It's uh, Rob may have trouble sleeping if he's reading scary books, I guess, is the gist of that. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> Not for nothing. And, and like, I guess in my defense, we can, I'm going to jump to this right now. Um, my book changed. All right, so they uh, they were nice enough. Cheesing was nice enough to send us ebook, an ebook, right? Mm-hmm. Loaded it up on my iPad. Text changed as I was reading. And it's not supposed to do that. I am a hundred percent not kidding. This is something that actually happened. <laughs> and you, you believe me, right? Because I sent you the whole thing, right? I do, and 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 I'm actually looking it up because you had told me to to check my copy of it. Um, and it said he'll believe you, of course, <laughs> which is kind of weird that you actually asked if I believe you because, of course, he'll believe of you. Course. Of course. <laughs> well, that's creepy now. So while Livius is looking, this is the text message that I sent him. So this is more a statement than anything, but the text has changed twice in this book as I've been reading it. Like, I read a few paragraphs and switched to another app, and when I came back, the size was bigger just on the part I read. Then, just now, same deal. I read a paragraph, answered a text, and the same paragraph was italicized. I really didn't think that was a possibility, just changing specific parts of a book's font presentation. 
So I did go, I did look that up and did a search. Now I read it on a Kindle Paperwhite, which um, I, I think probably has a little less features than, than what you would use on an iPad, just based on the design, of, you know. But um, the word believe is italicized in that sentence, but there's nothing weird no, going Nothing on. else? Anything on that page, no. Nine minutes later, that italicized part changed back, and it was no longer italicized. I can't make this up. I'm 100% not lying. I had a fucking... <laughs> so, you want to make fun of me for trying to go to sleep on a not creepy ending of a chapter, but this book was literally changing while I was reading it. That is, uh, it's really weird. And, and, and here now, so here's something maybe we didn't mention enough, but this this now draws even more parallels to what could be happening here. Um, as happens frequently in... Um, these stories where someone uncovers something in the past, a lot of times the protagonist winds up going through very similar things that the original, you know, we'll say early protagonist, the, the first person to encounter this does. So you, you get mimicking of symptoms or the types of haunting. And that happens in this book too. It's, it's a very standard haunting trope when you're discovering something that happened to someone else, that that stuff starts to happen to you. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. So you have this changing text, right? And the text you send me says that I'll believe you. Do you see how this is starting to come together? Your fucking head is going to end up cut off and buried in the cement in front of that weird little building across the street. From oh, you. man. Well, that's depressing. <laughs> <laughs> this I don't is life imitating art Great. right now. Wait, I'm glad that you think I'm going to die, that I'm not going to somehow survive this. I like your... I like your. Um, no, I'm clearly the protagonist. <laughs> Great. Clearly the guy who's got to come find out why you won't be editing any more podcasts. And no, but the weird thing is happening to me. So I thought I'm the protagonist. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't like that any much as much anymore. Maybe nothing will happen to Plus you. Plus you're Romanian. So, well, that might help you in this situation. I don't know. <laughs> that, that, that could remind me if we have time at the end to mention something to you regarding something along those lines. Right. Um, <clears throat> So, yeah, basically what we have is Lois, who is starting to be the subject of of similar things and, and, and her child. I don't think anybody missed you know, when we mentioned that Hyatt um, was likely autistic and Clark is autistic. And now she's looking into this and shit starts to happen to her. And some of it is uh, is very similar in style to the things that may have happened to, to Whitcomb. So this haunting has been passed down to another person, so to speak. And we spend the balance of the book figuring out what happens to Lois and Simon and Clark and, and maybe eventually Iris Whitcomb. And, and you kind of get it, right? This is not all that different from that type of ghost um, narrative, I guess. Creepy. Yeah, very creepy. Now, <clears throat> I just said this is like every other you know historical ghost story ever, right? So we're, we're, uh, let's talk about some other stuff. What is done brilliantly, in my opinion, in this book, and I get the feeling Rob is going to agree with me, the memoir style works super, super well. There's a ton of foreshadowing in um, not necessarily the things, you know what I mean? But because it's a memoir, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm very much paraphrasing here, they're like, uh, Lois is like, Oh, you know, so we thought this was going to be as bad as it was going to get. But man, were we wrong? Like, you know, chapters end in that kind of style, which adds to the creepiness and the kind of pressure you feel as a reader, knowing that shit's going to get a lot worse, um, which I thought was done 
extremely well for using, like I said, kind of, you know, tropes that have been done plenty of times before that along with characters in the book really for me is what made this a a very enjoyable read. One I'll say about the ghost aspect of it um, that I think worked really well and what is just like just eternally creepy about ghost shit in general or possession stuff or anything supernatural where something that we don't know about or don't understand is is kind of making its way into our world is um, and this is what gave me some seriously creepy shit Um, when you have a character refer to something that they should have no idea about which implies that they got it from like the ghost or something like that that shit creeps me out big time and that was done very well in this book so there's one point where um, Clark Lois's son is singing from a song I guess it's not necessarily a song but a, whatever is singing like um lines of something that uh, Lois had found in her research and there's no reason the kid would know that stuff and that just is just the creepiest like your blood run cold runs cold kind of stuff and, and I love it and it was done sparingly throughout the book but in a way that was very very effective oh yeah I'm I'm gonna agree um, a lot of times I feel like that's the Characters should fucking get it, right? Like, at that point, there should be a complete and utter meltdown that they understand that something is really, really wrong. And in and, and this book also, it was, I think it went a little, I don't know if it went over Lois's head. I think she kind of got it, but didn't really want to believe it. This is the same thing where it takes characters, you know, halfway through a zombie movie to figure out that you got to shoot them in the brain. Right, yeah. Right? Like, that guy, like, like there's so much denial. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're just like, oh, I don't know how he could know that. Right. It's... Because there's a ghost, damn it. Because you know there's a ghost. Because you're reading the story about a ghost. And there's this film that mimics the story about the ghost. <laughs> and then there's an autistic kid. And now your kid's saying shit. Like, come on. Like, like, like add it all up, right? Yeah. Um, Good yeah, stuff. What I, yeah, no. And, and it was done. It was done really well. And that was um, one of the creepier um, aspects. There, there, There's certainly other things that were very creepy. I don't know if we'll talk about them or not. Um I'm going to talk about the characters. So Lois specifically is um, very, very realistic. So I don't know. I don't think we really mentioned it, but um, Lois thinks she's a terrible mom. You know, she's got this kid. She's not terribly patient Um, through the course of this book. She's consistently putting aside his, I don't want to say she's putting aside his care and well-being because the father's there for for the kid to get dumped on and, and her mom. But like her relationship with her mom was very realistic you know there's just a lot of fighting her mom was written really well as the kind of overbearing mother who always knows better than her daughter and then like i said this relationship between lois and simon as as you know malleable as a character as he was you know a lot of this really kind of rang true there's no there are no perfect relationships in this story and and that's one of the things that for me made it a stronger book none of this has anything to do with the ghosts you know or the ghosts it, it none of it has any direct relation to that, but it definitely felt like this is someone you work with that, you know, that's like, you know, not a perfect person. That's, that's not even really a likable person, but you're still going on this ride with them. Reminded me a little bit of the William Gay book that we read. I kind of felt the same way about that main character. Like here's a guy who's kind of meh. He's not really likable. There's nothing that really endears me to him, you know, which makes it almost a little more realistic than 
having the character that you really, really love go through this stuff. This is just a person. This is this is your very average flawed person going through some shit. Binder. Yes, that guy. I remembered the name. I was proud that I remembered the name. Um, yeah, I'll give that to you. Uh, I mean, I, I and you'll, this will become evident in our wrap-ups and everything, and if we end up doing some spoiler talk, very evident then, but I think all aspects of this book were written well, including the kind of historical bits. So because she's basically a film historian or, or for the sake of the main narrative, that's her that's her role is she becomes a film like she does historical documentary kind of thing there's a historical analysis of film in general but also um a lot of specific historical information about the characters and and like like olivia said a little bit earlier that shit was done very very well um makes me think of who does it really well arturo perez reverte does it really well yes and um, I read that book, Shadow of the Wind, by Carlo Ruiz Zafone, which was um, like book like book history, and it was just really, really well done. And I think this is of that caliber, for sure. Oh, absolutely. And, and there's a lot of like insight into the weird world of making films in Canada. Like, yeah, you know, and um, the government grants for films, but like you know, these qualifications you have to go through. And, and even like I said, the stuff with the school, which was great because basically it was like a junior college for filmmakers, you know, that no one took seriously and they were really just there to make some money. Although Lois took her job seriously, the program itself was kind of a joke. Yeah, and it talked about CanCon. Were you aware of CanCon before this? No, no. no. Do you know what that is? A uh, Canadian convention. Canadian content. So I'm gonna I'm oh. gonna school you a little bit. So because the United States is pretty much the primary resource for like film and TV shows and stuff around the world, at least we have the largest market. Um, other countries I've discovered in the last couple of years actually have rules uh, that they have to like a TV station or movie theaters, any kind of entertainment venue has to present at least a certain percentage of Canadian-made content or whatever country it's from, like their own kind of national content um, that's not from the United States, basically, in order to preserve um, like a local industry of entertainment. So in Canada, uh, like TV stations have to play, I think it's 35% Canadian content. So at least one third of what happens on TV in Canada has to be Canada made. Dude, that's crazy. And that's such a shitty cop out. And here's why. (laughs) Make better shit. (laughs) There's the answer to that, right? Like, just make better shit. And you know what? You can have 100% Canadian content. I don't know about 100%. I mean, you know, but you you get where I'm going with this, right? Well, that law applies to everything. So music, movies, TV shows. Even adult entertainment. Get the first of all. Why the fuck do you know this? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm. Is it because of the adult entertainment you're trying to figure out why? <laughs> why Pornhub.ca had a lot of. <laughs> yeah. Why is there not more? Yeah, that's exactly what it is, Livius. <laughs> I don't know. I just to like... I heard about Canadian content somewhere, and then I just I did one of those like fall down a rabbit hole, Wikipedia kind of days where I just read more than I needed to. Gotcha. It's um, it's interesting, but it's just it's really shitty. It, it it's the um, oh god. Okay, see, 
here if I actually so if for people oh, who don't, here we go. I, He's I'm about to the, get a racist. Get racist. No, no, I, yeah, but you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> um, I'm in the early stages of Alzheimer's, maybe because I fucking can't remember a goddamn thing, and I, I have to lean on Rob like a crutch to remember people's names and stuff. So, um, affirmative action, right? That's what it is. It's affirmative action. I knew exactly you for were. Canadian films. <laughs> like, whoa, whoa, guys! There's way too much American, and um, maybe who else makes good movies? The French seem to do very well with movies, and that's probably pretty big in Canada, right? French films. Yeah, there's uh, well, yeah, in Quebec. So that's yeah, they speak so, French. And they're like, listen, listen, we don't care if it's garbage. 35% of it has to be made here in Canada. I knew you were going to go to affirmative action. But isn't that what it is? <laughs> um, I mean, it definitely seems that way. I mean, it makes, on the surface, it, it's, it makes sense. I'm not going to say I'm taking a side on this one way or another. But Oh, sure. Make me out to be a, a, a content bigot now. You're a bigot about everything, so no one really cares. CanCon. <laughs> CanCon. That, that's weird. It's interesting. It's interesting, but ultimately I'm going to have to go. It's kind of stupid. All right. Do you want to do quotes? Or are we um, still talking about the book? Yeah, are we done talking about the book? I think we're pretty much done talking about anything else we would do. would would have to fall into the spoiler portion of this review. So, yeah, let's do some quotes. This is the third time I cannot find my Kindle. And I've not moved from the spot. <laughs> Haunted book, man. That's yeah. all I'm saying. Good lord. It's buried in two feet of concrete. It's gonna make it kind of hard to do quotes. Um, why don't you kick it off while I get the the Kindle fired up? Oh, I see what you did there, Kindle fired up. Mm-hmm. Yep, and this this portion of book is brought to you by. Oh god, I would never. Can I can I talk about one that just came out? Because it's not even a quote. Yeah fucking really they have a hospital called sick kids hospital yeah Does that that's not sound like the worst place <laughs> in the world and you're taking your kid there and if your kid's like oh i don't know seven they can read the sign that says sick kids hospital yeah i mean it's pretty obvious what they do in there yeah but there's no oh okay so i'm not gonna go into this like fucking like you know crazy old people hospital like what, like, what that's true this? Yeah, demented old guy place. People dying of cancer hospital. <laughs> like I don't like what other names could we give these places so people know exactly what they do. All right, all right. Um, this is toward the beginning of the book, and it's just when uh, you're heavily learning more about the type of film that Lois is into, um, and it's it, it, a very kind of title referential because she talks a lot about experimental films and the book is called experimental film um in its purest form done right watching an experimental film is the closest you can come to dreaming another person's dreams which is why to watch one is essentially to invite another person into your head hoping you emerge haunted good shit I'm going to touch on something else that um, is not necessarily a quote, but um, I guess when you talk about experimental films, and I've watched um, only a portion of this film that was made in uh, 1929, she mentions Unchien Andalou, um, which is probably, I say this hesitantly because it's probably not better known for this, but it's probably better known from the song Debaser by the Pixies, which has got to be one of the top 20 songs ever written. I don't know if I know that song off the top of my head. 
Oh, you you listen. It, it, does the word Pixies sound familiar as a band? Yeah, I know some Pixies then songs. Then there's like two songs you know by them, and one of them is Debaser. Okay. Pretty sure. At any rate, <laughs> I thought that was kind of cool. Um, I tried watching that. That starts off with an eye, and she mentioned in the book, it starts off with an eyeball being sliced open with a razor blade. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Ugh. so. Yeah, but if you're not sure from Rob's description what an experimental film is, look up um, that Unchien Andalou. I, I think you can see the whole thing on YouTube, and, and you'll get the idea that a lot of it's just crazy images crammed together and not necessarily a, a, a fluid story. So. Uh, let's see because stories lie hidden inside other stories and we always know more about any given thing than we think we do even if the only thing we think we know is nothing completely out of context but I think it fits um, if it's a it's 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 a really well written and thought out line love it I was so I didn't I was ignoring Livius's last quote because I was reading this quote I'm about to give you and trying to remember why I highlighted it. Um, so I have to give this context and I was really kind of confused by why I highlighted it. But um, it's because we're reviewers and this is a quote from the perspective of a reviewer. And actually, if you uh, look at Gemma's bio, she was a film reviewer. So I think this is actually informed, you know, from a kind of personal experience but anyway um from the from from having reviewed now with olivia's what over 100 well over 150 books um this was interesting to to to, to read back when i was a reviewer i often had to remind myself that film is 99 percent interpretation subject to inherent narrative unreliability it's really hard to say quote objectively this is what x is about critics ask each other all the time what movie did you watch the same way we constantly tell each other you kind of have to see it uh but can the movie you see ever be the movie i saw given how perception is skewed the very moment in which we observe something your perceptions are not reliable and you will never escape unchanged he's basically saying like we don't read the same book because of how we take it in right sure yeah life experiences affect that um quite a ton and and look at i mean and and i I say this half jokingly but look at what happened like you were so creeped out that you couldn't like you had trouble going to sleep yeah and you've got someone like me who's so fucking jaded (laughs) you know what i mean so that that's exactly how it affects us you know it's 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 based on things that happen to us or, or the people that we are and we take it in very differently yeah yeah i found and and i don't think i marked enough of these so um I'm going to give Miss Files a lot of credit for um, insightful um, thoughts. And this is probably lost, I think, on a lot of people. And not because of the, the, the content, but because it's so not related to the bigger story. But this is just another brilliant little passage. And, and I have to do this on a little bit of a setup. Um, at this point, Lois is talking about her her mother is who she's referencing in the second part of this quote. Much like my own later flirtations with addictive behavior, that part of her life probably lasted exactly as long as was needed. You know, when you think about that and you think about 
what Rob just said about forming people, right? Like that's who they are. Like those parts of your life last exactly as long as they're needed to make you the person you are today. And there's a lot of personally insightful stuff here that applies. And like I said, I'm almost afraid that, that readers will glaze over this because it's get to the ghost, get to the ghost. You don't want to learn more about the, the, the sick kid, you know, that type of thing. Like why the fuck is there a place named your ear? You know, and, and we'll miss some of the nuances of this book that, that really I thought were powerful and, and well thought out. Agreed. Um, Can I do another one because I'm in this exact same vein as this one? Do it. All right, this is the last one. In my darkest moments, though, I have to wonder how much of our affection as parents is for the child we think we're going to have, the child we think we're entitled to, instead of the one we actually end up getting. Yeah, there was a lot of challenging parent parental thoughts in the in the book and um, stuff that you would think is a little bit unsafe to say. I guess this is me as a non-parent. Maybe I mean, but it, it seems like it's something that parents probably have to struggle through all the time but don't want to admit they do, right? Yeah, and, and that's why I said I kind of like that because typically speaking, the vast majority of books I read, the parent is either a your very typical absent parent, like like my mom was a whore and always had guys over, um, you know, like I used to listen to her have sex in the other room, or they're the perfect parents who would do anything for their kids. And, and here you have a, a protagonist who's conflicted, you know, and, and has issues and loves her son but kind of hates her situation. So I, I think a lot of that. A lot of my opinions on this book are not formed around the actual ghost story, which is kind of odd because it's flat out a ghost story at its heart. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Are you, did you say that was your last one? Because I've got a couple more. I did not. I have probably two to three more to, when I read them and see if I can actually do them or not. All right. So um, here is my next one, um, which this just kind of – I'm going to read the quote. I'll just hit the quote without context, and then I'll fill in the context afterwards. In the end, you will always look at the thing you're told not to, just because it exists, if only to prove it exists. Which is such an obvious thing to talk about in a ghost story, because everybody's been that kid who pulled the covers over their head so that they couldn't be found, right? So there's that whole idea of if I don't see it, you know what I'm saying? You did that last night, I think, right? Isn't that what you're Fucking, of course I did. But I love, I love that there's kind of like a a deeper analysis of there's actually um, that concept is used in a very cool way in the book, um, which I won't go into because, you know, I don't want to spoil anything, but um, it's a really cool, the way that it's used is an analysis of the idea of the power of being seen or seeing something, which I thought was really cool. I'm going to agree with you on that was some of my favorite stuff is exactly what you were just talking about. Here's some more um, relationship stuff. Um, I'm not going to try to fill in the context. Basically, you know, there's there's been a spat, another spat between um, Simon and Lois about what Lois plans on doing. He didn't quite smile, and I didn't quite smile back, but the mood lifted just a bit. Aw. I mean, that's but that's really good shit. Like, you know, when you know somebody and, and you, you know, you have a relationship with them, even between friends, there's like the knowing looks and stuff. And that's what I feel happened there. And it was delivered to us in such a way that we really understood exactly what happened at that moment. 
Absolutely. All right, so I'm going to hit you with my last one. This is my wrap-up quote. Not a wrap-up quote, but my final quote. It's just the fucking last one I'm going to do. Um, this is a, this goes back to kind of that parental thing. Um, Though life with Clark was hard, full stop, no negotiation, I knew that life without him would be impossible. I couldn't even contemplate it. So that's what makes her an amazing parent is despite all of the shit that she goes through, there's no question in her mind that like she does not want any other existence than the one that she has. I agree. Um, she was a really fascinating character. Um, I am going to do one more. I have a couple more that maybe we'll do if we do spoiler cutouts. So um, this one was kind of um, interesting because it, it and, and a lot of this book played on film because it's about films. So there are films mentioned throughout. I mentioned Unchian Andalu. Um, but this one, this quote is will kind of explain itself. We might have been alone. The city is empty as every post-apocalyptic vista ever. The Walking Dead's Atlanta, 28 Days Later's London. Neither of which were really empty, of course, which was the point. Yeah, I remember that. That was good. Really good shit right there. It was good stuff. All right, let's uh, let's kick it in the in the wrap ups. You want to go ahead and kick this one off? All right. So, um, uh, again, this is one of those books where I didn't read the synopsis ahead of time, mostly because I didn't want to kind of taint what I what I what I didn't want to build expectation into what I was about to read. Um, I did know what came from Cheezine, which I don't think that we've really seen anything bad come from. We read um, Swallowing a Donkey's Eye and. Um, the summer is ending. We're not yet friends. You know, uh, we're not yet saved. Wow, the summer is ended. We are not yet saved. Um, so, and some other stuff as well. So I knew I was coming from a, a good source, and we were having a conversation recently about independent publishers off the offline about who's exciting in independent publishing or small publishing. And I think Cheezing is definitely one of those reliable sources for for horror. And um, so I kind of had faith that it was going to be good. Um, and it, what helped was actually about halfway through, uh, in between the last episode and this one, um, friend of the podcast, Jesse Lawrence, was super excited to um, read the book as well. And he has a great taste in books. So anyway, that's all a big way of saying I knew this book was going to be good. But I didn't know what it was about. Livius just kind of told me it was a ghost story. So going into it, that's pretty much what I hoped for, but man, there's just so much going on in this book between having this kind of, um, I don't know how you would say it, like not necessarily an anti-hero char- character, but like Livia said, a character that you don't necessarily, it's not that you don't like her, but there's not a ton to love. She's not an obvious, like lovable protagonist kind of person. She's messed up. She's a big mess. Um, but you like the tenacity and you like her intelligence and you see the potential and what she can what she can do. The ghost story, obviously, throughout the course of this conversation, you picked up on the fact that it really creeped me out. The history part was really good. Um, the character development was great. The characters that we were supposed to hate, we hated. The characters we were supposed to be conflicted about, we were conflicted about. It all just went really well. Um... That was a great story, and I liked everything about it. Um, this is our first Gemma Files book, but man, she is so sadly on my radar right now. I think one of the things that, le- again, kind of put me at ease about reading this book before I started it was that Paul Tremblay 
was a blurb on the front cover, at least of the arc. So Paul's Paul's a very reliable resource. And damn, this whole book just works so well for me. Great ghost story, great kind of historical fiction piece. Um, the whole written as a memoir thing worked really well, and I loved all the characters. So I don't know, man. I'm thinking this is a 4.5, four and a half stars. In a way, I'm glad that you mentioned um, Paul Tremblay because he is going to figure into my wrap-up as well. Um, you know, take it for us. It's a good ghost story. It's not, um, you know, it's not step out of bounds of, of what ghost stories are. There's nothing. And, and I say this and it's going to sound much, much worse than I mean it. They're really innovative. You research something that happened in the past. Those things start to happen to you. You have to figure out a way out. It's it's um, it, we've seen it in, in films. We, we've seen it in books. What makes this book special is um, the writing. So the reason I wanted to mention Paul Tremblay, A Head Full of Ghosts, was a book that I definitely consider. And I've read a lot of, in my younger days, a lot of horror. Um, and a lot of it was, you know, I call it like like horror porn. Just cheesy, fast-paced horror, slashers, whatever. And there's something to be said for that. I still love that kind of stuff when it's done right. This falls into a different category. This reminds me of A Head Full of Ghosts in that I fully feel this is this should be considered literary horror. Um without a doubt because it's 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 really really well written to me the ghost story you know obviously it's the heart of the book and for me um it's not the most special part of the book so i could have read a lot of this clearly the ghost stuff is what drives the the narrative but i found so much brilliant stuff that wasn't part of that and that's really kind of a special thing when you're reading a horror book that you can find things uh far outside the the synopsis that work for you on multiple levels. So um, I, I really enjoyed this again. You know, I'm going to echo with some things that Rob said, you have a not likable protagonist. Um, she's kind of brash and she, there's really nothing there to endear you to her, except that you're, you're caught up in the situation with her and it's done so well that you feel for her and that her son is probably at risk and she's at risk and she has to do these things and fuck. She's armed with like a sidekick filmmaker to like go up against a big bad ghost, you know? So that that's kind of what, what puts you on her side. Um, the writing was absolutely terrific. I liked all of the uh, real historical stuff in, in, you know, kind of talking about filmmaking and, and the theory behind it. It was really interesting for somebody who's not really interested in that in real life. I felt like I got something out of it. Um, Rob's right on with us. It, it, it's four and a half stars. Boom. Four and a half stars. Now, for our listeners, Livius and I are about to dip into some spoiler talk, but we're not going to do it here. If you want to get into the spoiler talk, head over to patreon.com slash booked at the $5 a month level. You can listen to some uh, more spoilery parts of, of our of our conversation, and it's going to get really cool. I think this is going to be a great topic to kind of dig into some spoilers with. Hey, can I mention while we're on there, before anybody heads over, um, we have people who are at this level and now I, I, I'm warmed at my heart when I heard this, but it also fucking broke my brain. Um, people contributed to Patreon. There are a few who contributed at the level that they would already be able to hear this, but then said, we don't want any rewards cause we just want to contribute. So I fucking love you people, but God damn it. We have extra content for you. So figure out how to get on your Patreon and say you want rewards cause rewards are already there and more rewards are coming as we reach our, our levels that we need to be at. So please, if you are not seeing a spoiler episode for what was the last book we did? <laughs> familiar two. Yes, for the familiar two. If that's not showing up as is available to you, then you need to figure out how to say, "Hey, I take back what I said. I totally want rewards." I'm sure there's a way to do it, and maybe by the next episode or maybe the episode after that, we'll we'll draw you a little roadmap in case you have those issues. 
All right. You want to jump into it? Yep. Let's do it. All right. Um, next up, what's become um, a becoming a fixture on this podcast is the 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 audio clip from Ryan begging and begging um, for signups. But this week he's gonna he's got this actual review of Worm. Right? It's been like two weeks since he finished reading it, so we're gonna hear the whole review of Worm. Actually, not quite. <laughs> what? <laughs> he's still working on it. You'll hear from the clip um, for for our listeners. Livius knows he's just he's just teasing us, but. Uh, <laughs> um, He's working on the review. He's been busy, man. He just got some big new. Did have we talked about this on the podcast? Homeboy's going to China. He's abandoning us. Yeah, I did. We talk about it because I, I think. Know. Yeah, because I think you said something about there being internet issues, and I had mentioned we'd done reviews. Maybe that was off the podcast. Anyway, yeah, he's going to China, where apparently, and this is only going to mean something to maybe one person, which is Rob, where there are women in bathtubs full of ketchup, like which I got to tell you. I am more endeared to the Asian culture over the last couple of months between the amount of anime I've been watching and women in bathtubs full of ketchup that I think I want to go with him. I think that he needs he needs a friend. Oh, there. no. So, Rob, I'm going to need you to, to, to hook me up with uh, with that. And, and, and Why don't and you have him hook you up? He's the one going to China. Yeah, but he's just an intern. Like you're, you're, you're a guy. Like you produce, and I need someone to produce some shit right now. Like a ticket to China along with a salary to go with it. What if I give him like thirty bucks and tell him he's got to get a video of a woman in a bathtub full of ketchup while he's in China? This, um, that, yeah, yeah, that would that would work. <laughs> I've got another thirty bucks if he actually gets that. So, Ryan, not only is there 30. some kind of weird per DM, but there might be sixty bucks in it for you if you get. But you have to authenticate it. Like you'll have to like show yourself on the camera. This can't just be like any woman in China. Like I, right. I want to make sure you get this, and that's like a like a fucking billion yen. I think sixty dollars. Yeah, I, I do. They use is that yen in China? I, I, I maybe. Um. I don't know. All, all I know is yeah. that I can get a TV from China, like a 50-inch TV, shipped to me, free shipping, for like $4. So $60, yeah. that's got to buy it. Yeah. Well, you got to calculate the cost of ketchup. That's going to take away a little bit of money. That's true. And they might import ketchup there. I don't know if, if, ketchup, if, if ketchup grows indigenously in, in China. <laughs> I mean, it's made from tomatoes. So. Oh, I, I don't know if they have that there. What do you mean it's made from tomatoes? What's at any rate, we should probably just roll the clip. <laughs> uh. Hey, this is Ryan McRae, the marketing intern for the Booked Podcast. I'm back after recovering from a massive flu. Also, I did indeed finish Worm, a 1.75 million word book. And now I just finished two weeks off from reading. I'm back at it again with Calvin's War by James Corey, a huge space opera of a book. I'm addicted to huge books. I hear that makes me a size queen. I don't know what that means. Anywho, I'm working on the review of Worm. It's a bit long, but I should have it for you soon. My one and only job is to ask you to sign up for the newsletter on bookedpodcast.com so we can send you a free, free copy of the booked anthology, a massive tome of great authors. Bazam! Free book. All right, sign up for the newsletter, and we're back to Rob and Livius. All right. Thanks again to Ryan for uh, pushing our newsletter. I promise one day we will most likely actually send out a newsletter. Um, It'll have a video of Ryan in China <laughs> with a woman in a bathtub full of ketchup. Now, you know the problems. What's Here's what's going to go wrong. There's going to be some sort of miscommunication or it's going to be a prank or something like that. But the woman's going to be behind the camera and it's going to be Ryan in a bathtub full of ketchup. 
You know, that brings up something interesting because he mentioned size queen and not knowing what that was. Is he just getting that wrong? I think he means queen size, right? Like the beds? Like a bed, like a queen size bed? Yeah. I don't know what that has to do with what he said, but I think he got that backward, backwards. I mean, he could have just been tired and his mind was like subliminally telling him to go to sleep. That could be. So at any rate. Hang on. Let me look up. I'm going to look up size queen. Hang on a second. Keep talking. I'm going to look up size queen. Um, so yeah, we uh, it, the the newsletter might in oh oh I think we said the first newsletter would go with a picture of the three of us in the world's weirdest and smallest bathroom. So there's oh, that. Talk about being a size queen. And then there would Small, be um, anyway. yeah, and then there would be uh, maybe some some ketchup. If you guys haven't seen this, I, I don't even know. <laughs> I, I tried finding the YouTube video sent Rob. Luckily, Rob had seen it already. But there's just it's the weirdest video, and I know people were thinking like, oh, this just sounds like bad porn. It's not. It is a, and I, she's Asian. I, I don't know if she's Chinese. She could be Korean. I, I don't know. <laughs> she's sitting, and at first you can't really tell it's a tub, but she throws a bunch of French fries in front of her and then, like, squirts ketchup into her mouth, spits it on the French fries, then slathers the French fries from the bottle. And ultimately, she's scooping ketchup. You realize she's in a bathtub full of ketchup, and she's scooping ketchup onto these French fries and saying, more. She keeps more. saying, you want more. Yeah. And then, fucking out of nowhere, she gets a shovel. It's like, it's brilliant. I've watched it like eight times today. All right, so while you were talking about that, I made an interesting discovery on UrbanDictionary.com. Size, are you, I hope you're ready for this. Size queen. I, the, I'm prepared. The term, <laughs> the term size queen is slang for a person, usually a gay male, who prefers their sexual partners to have a larger than average size penis. So it has nothing to do with with the size of bed. May, like bed is a queen size. Does that? Oh, I'm really may confused. may use penis size as a major or single factor in determining a suitable partner. Now he was talking about the size of books, though. Oh, I guess that maybe makes so. sense. He likes the books girthy. He likes a thick book. It's so thick. It's so thick. That's what he should read. Oh, he this should is perfect. Tra- we're gonna need a review of it. So thick, you put aside whatever whatever weird bestseller nine thousand page thing you were gonna read next. Read it so thick, Ryan, and and give us a review on that. We're on it. That would totally get us out of doing it. I know, and then that would get uh, Nick Corpon off our backs too, because he keeps putting yes. up pictures of horses inside of windows. Yeah, yeah, and um, quite honestly, I mean, isn't that what having an intern is like delegating the shit you don't want to do to him? Isn't that yeah. what really it means? So. Brian, can you review it so thick? Rob will send you his autographed copy. My, oh, oh God. I, I, I don't even know what to say to that. All right, what else do we want to talk about? Well, here's the whole thing. All silliness aside, it's time to get real. Our holiday episode is fast approaching. Very fast approaching. So um, you guys will be hearing this probably on Tuesday the 15th or later. Um, do not wait a week to come back because I think it's going to be in less than a week. Our holiday extravaganza spectacular will be up, and we take that very, very seriously. Wouldn't you agree, Rob? That's pretty much the only thing in life we care about. Yep. So as a, we'll call it a trailer of sorts, I don't know, like a hint at what type of stuff you might hear, we have content from somebody else. No, no, not from Malaz Corbier because he, he he dropped off the face of the earth many, many years ago. Um, <laughs> it's not from... Adam in Oshkosh, triple A, A Adam Otten, because he abandoned us forever ago. It's not from Skip Papersley, who is also mysteriously absent for months at a time. It is from our close friend, Adam, whose legs don't work. That's right. However, I do have a very quick correction. Adam 
whose legs don't work is the one that's in Oshkosh. A. Adam Otten, who uh, fell off the same side of the world that apparently Lance Corbier did, um, was from Milwaukee. So, just want to put that straight. Um, it's Wisconsin, right? Wisconsin. Both of them are in Wisconsin. Right, that's the same fucking thing. Yeah, okay. Oh, I see what you're saying. Like, it doesn't <laughs> matter. Yes, AKA doesn't correct. matter. <laughs> Pretty much, but yes, you are correct. I did I did do that a little right. wrong. But at any rate, here is what I'm going to say. It was pretty much unsolicited content, but I really like this. So we'll consider this the, the teaser for the holiday episode. Here is Adam, whose legs don't work, on Booked. Hey, guys, and everyone listening to Booked. It's Adam in Oshkosh, whose legs don't work. At first, I thought that title might be a little tedious, but it turns out, you know, 35 goddamn Adams, so the specificity is important. I'm calling to wish everyone a very booked holiday season and give Rob another bunch of editing to do while he drinks fancy beer. I had an idea for a few booked-related holiday greetings to share with everyone, so I hope you enjoy them. Have a Fred Venturini Christmas. Sounds festive and Italian, like there will be cannolis, but then Santa breaks in, shoots your dog, and beats most of your family in the face with a pipe wrench. Happy Caleb J. Ross Hanukkah, where everyone meets in a sleazy motel and exchanges eight dead animals or severed body parts. Enjoy David James Keaton Kwanzaa, when three zombies go to the movie theater to critique a movie about a crooked, delirious book agent turning $2 into $4, and then post about it on Facebook as, not quite as good as The Big Chill, but still good performances by Tom Berenger and Meg Tilly. Have a delightful Amanda Gowan winter solstice by getting a funky double eye and earlobe transplant and then burning shit down. It's Olivia's Nedden Thanksgiving, and we all say how thankful we are for not doing anything we wouldn't be doing anyway, and then having people give us awards for it. And if they give the award to someone else, then we hate them all with the heat of a thousand suns and mock their tiny island nation and its use of the silent W, or new rather. Grab a partner for Rob Olson New Year's. By midnight, you may get a kiss, or you may never be heard from again. But it's always worth the risk because coffee is good and the whiskey is better. Keep up the great works, guys. Can't wait to hear what is in store for Booked in 2016. All right, that was Adam, whose legs don't work, uh, covering all... Now, I will say that Thanksgiving already did pass, so we we kind of hit that one a little bit late, but, man, um, you pretty much got every holiday. There was one thing he did say about me, which I don't really understand. It was, like, New Year's and never being seen again. I don't really understand exactly what he was talking about, <laughs> but, um, uh, ladies, um, I promise if you spend New Year's with me, you will not disappear. You won't go missing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would like to say that the ex- the opinions expressed in that segment are those of Adam whose legs don't work and not everybody on booked because this war on Christmas is fucking outrageous. He was talking about Kwanzaa and all kinds of other I don't I don't know. It's it's like a, it's like a red it's like a red coffee cup all over again. Oh. I don't here, here. give a shit. I don't care about Christmas here. or anything else. I just <laughs> wanted to say something that maybe sounded controversial. Super biggity. Big, yeah. Big thanks to uh, Adam, whose legs don't work, for um, very good content. I will tell you, like, we were looking for a place to put that in an episode, and either episodes are running stupid long or whatever. But I remember being at work and listening to that and just, like, just chuckling out loud, which um, I, I do on the podcast. I don't know. Like, I'm, it takes a lot to get me to chuckle. 
out loud if I'm by myself. If you're in a group of people and talking and stuff, you know, yeah, you kind of laugh and that's that's part of what you do. But to get me to do that on my own, a book or a sound clip, it takes a lot. So uh, nice job there, Adam. Thank you. Yeah, happy to have him contribute. He's one of those guys that just randomly pops up with something. I think he has a funny idea and then just runs with it. Um, but always been a big supporter of the podcast, so appreciate that. One thing we do have coming up for our Christmas episode, uh, for 100% sure, is our review of The Stupidest Angel by Christopher Moore. You excited about that, Livius? I am very excited about that because not only is it kind of a throwback episode, but I'll get to revisit something I really didn't think I'd ever have a reason or time to revisit. So um, I love The Stupidest Angel. Somewhere in there is probably what I consider, if memory serves correctly, one of the maybe 20 or 30 funniest lines I've ever read and I will certainly make sure to mark that out as I read the book over the next day or two and I have to say I got the book in my hand right now that's what you're hearing um, one of the most unexpected plot twists in a book I've ever read um, which sounds ridiculous because it's a Christopher Moore book and he does like kind of humorous satire and stuff like that but the twist I fucking never saw it coming never saw it coming I, I remember, and I'll tell you, it takes a lot for me to remember very specific things about books after reading hundreds of them, as I mentioned earlier yeah. with my, my uh, early onset Alzheimer's. Um, if I remember something specifically for a book like one of the funniest lines I ever read was in there, that takes a lot. So I think we're going to have a lot of fun. I don't know that it's going to be a really full review with four of us. It's probably going to be a little bit more of an open conversation maybe, but there will be that. There will be the holiday gift exchange again this yeah. year. Um, so that'll be happening. Um, I'll probably say inappropriate things. Amanda will go on um, at length about things and we'll just sit quietly and listen. It'll be a lot of fun, much like any other spectacular we've ever had. So definitely come back for that. Set aside some time. I get the feeling it's going to be a girthy episode. Man, you're all about that word girth. Maybe you're the size queen. Maybe. I'm queen size. I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to have to look mm-hmm. into this a little bit. Maybe I'm not going to. After what you said, maybe I'm not going to look into it at all. I don't know. Right. No. No. I don't know what to say. That just means you're going to be in a bigger bathtub full of ketchup, I think. <laughs> you know, I don't, I mean, I like ketchup as much as I like <laughs> This video is just, it's, it's so fucking weird. And I'm telling you, I told Rob, I go, I spent the next three days watching every video that this woman has posted because there's hundreds, I think. And you know what? I am sure that there will be other great quality stuff in there. We will see. Maybe, maybe next time you can tell us the name of the, uh, the YouTube channel or something like that. So other yeah. people can share it as well. Here's the problem. You can name a YouTube channel in, um, uh, I, I don't know, there's a name for it, but the, the Asian type lettering. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I could make a sound. I could, it's, yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't know how to say it. But maybe maybe we'll provide uh, a link. Tweet um, it out, Livius. Awesome. Just tweet it out through the book podcast. What's if you're listening. Twitter. What? Twitter. Yeah. That's a thing, right? Yeah, do it through Twitter. If you're listening and you want to see the ketchup bathtub thing, Livius is going to tweet it on, on the Booked Podcast Twitter. <laughs> I, I will do that. I'll probably put it in the <laughs> Facebook listening group, too. I, just, I, have to, I was having trouble finding that specific video. So before this, I was running late. I couldn't find my Kindle. And I go, shit, I told Rob we're starting in like a couple minutes. But I had been on that YouTube page looking for that video. So I sent him a link to another one where it's this woman playing with seafood, singing under the sea. And then she straight up I don't makes out with a fish isn't even the appropriate word because she shoves the the whole head of the yeah. fish in her mouth. <laughs> I think she's like sucking on on the head of the fish. <laughs> I don't even know why I'm saying these things. It's so just I what did I I just texted back that was wrong. 
Yeah, that was wrong. And Rob, I'm gonna send you more videos. But yeah, maybe I'll maybe I'll I'll, I'll share that whole account and uh, give us give us some feedback. Hmm. Let us know if you want to hear a podcast where we just review Asian women doing weird shit. Because I'm I'm totally down for that. He's probably more excited about that idea than actually reviewing books. Yeah, I gotta tell you, <laughs> it's not that I'm looking for a ticket out of book reviews. Uh. But uh, I don't know. This just inspires me for us to do more YouTube content. Reaction videos. To, all right, we're done. I, we just have to stop this episode now because <laughs> Livius is just going to keep talking and I've got stuff until, to do. Until next time, I'm Livius Nudden. Now, Rebels, and keep reading. <laughs>